0: Hello and welcome to the e-commerce evolution podcast, where we bring you the best of what's new and what's next in e-commerce. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And our mission with this show is to interview the top merchants, the top marketers, and the experts shaping the e-commerce industry. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by Zipify and their flagship app, Zipify Pages. Pages. Zipify Pages is an e-commerce sales funnel and landing page builder that seamlessly integrates into your Shopify store. Just start with one of a growing list of templates and then customize and go. These templates are created by my friend and eight-figure e-commerce store owner, Ezra Firestone. Each template is built with proven conversion elements but also features a simple drag and drop editor so you can truly make these pages your own so you can customize and tweak and test and create some awesome landing pages and sales funnels so check out all the details sign up for the beta at zipify.com well hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast i'm your host Brett Curry, really excited about the topic today. Today is the first in what I hope is going to be an ongoing series called How I Did It, Real Merchant Stories. And before I introduce the merchant that I'm interviewing today, and we're going to talk about his success story and how their company has grown, I want to give a quick plug to an upcoming event that I think everybody in the e-commerce industry has to attend at least once. And that's uh, IRCE or Internet Retailer. Uh, conference and expo it's in chicago it's the largest e-commerce gathering in the world and it's coming up june 6th through the 9th Uh, although there is a pre-day and a post day so the main days of the event are the 7th and 8th Uh, i'm speaking on the first day talking about busting through paid search silos for better adwords results we've got an awesome co-presenter uh, merchant Nico from Tech Armor, longtime client of ours. So, uh, love to have you join that presentation. But also come by and see the OMG Commerce booth and check out all that IRC has to offer. And, and so, with that, uh, the topic today: I'm, I'm interviewing longtime client, good friend of mine, Chris Lynch. He's the co-founder of Everyday California, and you get to hear the story of how basically he and his partner started as two guys with a couple of kayaks doing tours in La Jolla which is near San Diego, California, and how they grew that into a lifestyle brand. Now they've got a a global licensing deal with their apparel. Uh, They're selling apparel online. They're booking adventures online. Uh, They did a 10x growth this year over last year in apparel sales, really growing it. And they've really formed this amazing brand. And so we get into a lot of things. We talk about one, how to build a lifestyle brand. We talk about uh, business expansion and when to know when you've gone down the wrong path and how to correct course. We talk about some different traffic sources. We get into Facebook a little bit. So lots of good stuff. Please enjoy my interview with Chris Lynch of Everyday California. My guest today is Chris Lynch with Everyday California, one of the coolest brands that I know personally, and and Chris is just a pretty cool guy himself. So really excited to welcome him to the show. Chris Lynch. Chris, how you doing, man?
1: Good, man. Stoked to be here. Yeah. Really Thanks for the uh, kind words.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for taking time to, to be here and excited to talk Everyday California. You know, I, I love the brand. I love the city you're in, San Diego. I love what you guys do. And, and so if you would, for, you know, the, the few people that maybe don't know about Everyday Cali, tell a little bit of the story. Like, how'd you get into this? What is Everyday California? Kind of tell us that that yeah. Genesis story.
1: Yeah, so Everyday California is an ocean adventure and lifestyle brand. Um, Myself and my business partner, Michael Sommer, um, started back in 2010 as a small um, tour operator. We actually were doing uh, kayak tours. Uh, We purchased a permit to operate in uh, in La Jolla, California, and uh, run guided kayak tours. And uh, as as we grew, we knew that we wanted to build a brand and build a lifestyle around what we were doing because we were seeing thousands of people and taking them out on the ocean and, and whether it was kayaking or paddleboarding or surfing or snorkeling, we had this really engaged audience and we really wanted to share them, you know, our love of the ocean and our love of California. And uh, so we started creating products. We really started um, in probably 2012. We made a t-shirt and a hat and tank top and kind of just started from there it Really really just, just bootstrapped it kind of one product at a time.
0: I love it. I love it. And we'll get in. Obviously, we'll, we'll focus on the products and the brand and how all that's going, which it's going very, very well. But I, just a quick note uh, for those listening. I have done the kayak tour. I guess it was, what, a year and a half ago, something like that. Uh, came out. You guys were gracious enough to take me on the tour. Got to see a, a sea lion. Got to kind of go up to some of the caves there. They're in La Jolla. It was phenomenal. Uh, my wife is still jealous. I was there on a work trip, so so I was flying solo. She She's still jealous she didn't get to go but it was amazing. Um, so highly recommend it, but uh, talk about, uh, so how did that idea come up? Was it like you and your, your business partner having a beer and talking, Hey, we, we could sell more stuff or, or how did that idea come about, uh, to sell the products?
1: It was really from the beginning. Um, when, when Mike called me and said, Hey, do you want to purchase this, this kayak tour permit with me? Uh, both of us had worked at the, this small company, uh, when we were in college, And I said, yeah, but I don't want to just do kayak tours. Uh, You know, if we're going to do this, let's build a brand around it. Let's, let's start an actual lifestyle company, a lifestyle brand. And you know, a lot of people say that a lot of people say I I own a lifestyle brand or I own a clothing company. Well, our difference being is we had a built-in customer base. And so we knew from the beginning that, that we could grow this thing into more than just a tour company.
0: Yeah. And what a unique way of, you know, there, there are other companies that kind of leverage a brick and mortar store to launch an online store. But you guys really leverage this cool experience service based business and use that to launch a, a products company and, and then eventually e-commerce. So so really cool. Uh, talk about the, the first products because it's always it's always fascinating to me to kind of watch the evolution of a product. And, and first of all, I, I love your uh, products. I own, own several of your, your teas. I think they instantly make me look cooler uh, or at least that's what I believe in my head. Uh, but what were the, what were those, fir- what were the first products and, and what were they like?
1: The first products were really basic. I mean, we're talking, we went to just a regular old blank manufacturer, like the uh, American apparel was what we were using in our first year, um, really cheap trucker hats. And we were just screen printing um, our logo. Um, and it wasn't even the logo that we have now. I mean, we started, because the name of the company that we purchased was on the permit, um, we could not change our name. Um, we couldn't really change our logo. We had to keep the same one until our permits were renewed. Um, so actually, our first product said O-E-X on them, which stood for Ocean Enterprise Express.
0: Um, Doesn't have and- the same ring to it as <laughs> as Everyday <laughs> California. No,
1: no. So that was really a blessing it was a blessing, uh, disguised as a curse because we didn't want that name. I I specifically wanted to go away from it right away. Um, we threw out all these different names, but the good news was is we couldn't change it. So we had two years of learning how to manufacture, uh, learning product design and really learning branding and and coming up with what our eventual name and logo would be. I mean, really, if somebody just held you and said, learn for two years and figure out exactly what you want, and how you want to market and who you want to sell to and what your logo, I mean, it took two years. And then we finally renewed our permits and we launched our permits uh, under the name Everyday California and, uh, and created our entire brand around Brutus, which is, uh, our bear
0: holding a surfboard. Yeah. I love the logo Brutus sold the surfboard. You gotta check it online. It's, it's phenomenal. And, and really, I love that perspective that the two years was really you guys learning and I'm sure making mistakes and and, and just perfecting the, the craft. I, any any tidbits, any lessons that stand out from those two years that you can pass on?
1: Yeah. Um, patience. <laughs> <Really>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Patience being the number one thing um, that patience is really, I think, what allowed us success. And we still kind of operate in that we try and be really patient, especially with building a apparel company. Um, so much of it has to do with numbers. Uh, a lot of people um, who start brands that start to have some success realize that the major issue in the apparel industry is inventory and financing and sell through rates and everything is based on numbers. Um, as much as I love to design a cool t-shirt and a cool hat or jacket or board shorts or whatever it is that we're working on, really, it all comes down to numbers and it comes down to margin and how much we can manufacture and for what margin we can get and lead times. And just all that goes into the back end of building a brand.
0: Yeah, that's phenomenal. And I think a lot of people want to rush the process. You know, they, they say, Hey, I, I'm dreaming of a lifestyle brand as well. And so I want to go from zero to 2 million, you know, and in in five months or something and and while those kind of numbers are certainly possible with certain businesses maybe but you know doing what you guys have done in terms of crafting the design and getting stuff that people really like and uh that, that shows well and and really your brand is exploding in terms of popularity which i know what we'll, we'll get into um it takes time and 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 then managing inventory and managing shipping and, and all that and so Um, so when did you, when did you guys first think about selling through e-commerce? Was that also in the, in the beginning that that you had that vision or did that come later?
1: Um, you know, we always knew we wanted to sell online, but that wasn't a big priority for us. I mean, starting out the 95% of our business was, was tour related. So our first, um, our first goal was to grow the tour business. I mean, much better margins, um, no inventory, Uh, so our first site was primarily just for people to be able to call and book tours. And then from there we got to the building out an online booking system so we could capture payments online, really working on getting that business up and running. Now we see about 50,000 people a year and we've really dialed in all of our systems and all of our online store and and everything that we can do from an adventure side. Uh, Selling apparel online, started in 2013, and was really a slow trickle. Um, We did spend a ton of money, Uh, we went out and this is something I would definitely recommend entrepreneurs not to do. Uh, We went out and we spent about 100 grand um, building a Magento based site that could do both apparel and tours. So we had to build the thing custom because nobody really does what we do. Nobody is a ocean adventure company that also sells apparel, you know, they're kind of one or the other. And so there was no out of box solution for us. So we went and we had this whole thing designed. So on our Magento site, you could buy apparel or you could book tours. Um, and we had to run the entire thing ourselves. So our IT costs were astronomical. If I wanted to change a picture, it was hard enough to get into the back end of Magento and code it to change a picture. Um, but that was really our first, uh, kind of go with selling our apparel online. And even at that point, um, we were doing very, very little online. The majority of the apparel we were selling was, was in our store, um, and in, you know, little farmer's markets or one or two small wholesale accounts that we, we had and we could manage.
0: Yeah. Which makes sense because, you know, when I was there doing the tour, of course I had to buy some swag, you know. Uh, while I was there, but, but you, you guys have a great showroom, which we can talk about, but I, I saw a lot of people as they were waiting for their tour, or as they finished their tour, they, they were buying some merch. And so, and I know that's, I know that's been, it makes sense. That it was a natural, um, kind of, you know, people want to c- commemorate their experience. They want to remember it and, and have something to show for what they did. And, and so it's a great fit. Um, and so was it, was it the to talk about the site and the platform, was it kind of the pain of that, of that initial site then that led you to Shopify or, or why did you choose Shopify?
1: Exactly. It was, it was definitely just the pain of having to do it and realizing that if we're going to operate these two businesses under, under one name, we're we're just going to have to separate out, um, the website. And so having a, a good amount of friends who are in e-commerce and, and running lifestyle brands down here, like, uh, Blenders, Eyewear, and Pure Vita, uh, we were all on the same street kind of growing up together and and knowing that they were having so much success with Shopify, we just decided that it was time to split. Uh, We split the site, uh, launched with Shopify. I believe it was in 2014 that we launched our apparel Shopify site um, and then had a link on there to direct to our Magento site, which we kind of bare bones and just left the adventure portion on the Magento site.
0: Right, right. Gotcha. And it's so fascinating to me. And, and, you know, I was introduced to you guys through our, our mutual friend, Austin Bronner. And, and how much did you guys collaborate? Because I, I love the story. I mean, if you look at Blender's Eyewear, phenomenal lifestyle brand based out of San Diego, Pure Vita, bracelets, another great story from, from right there where, where you're based. And then you guys, how, did you guys collaborate a decent amount like in the beginning years where you were you swapping ideas and, and sharing war stories and stuff? Absolutely.
1: Uh, the One of the founders of Blenders uh, ended up uh, becoming my roommate. Um, we all were good friends going through the same thing. And uh, we really tried to help each other and share as much information as we could, as we would all continue to grow. we were all in a little bit different market. We're more of a lifestyle apparel brand. Blenders is a sunglass company. Uh, Pure Vita is a, you know, a women's jewelry company and bracelet company. So we weren't exactly direct competing with each other and uh, and we were all friends and we were able to kind of help each other out. And as we all kind of head in, we were all in different directions, but we're really working on the same platform and working with email marketing and working with Facebook advertising and working with Instagram and working in the same channel. So we were able to kind of help each other out. And, uh, and definitely share war stories. And even to the point where later on this evening, I, I have a dinner with, with all of those guys and we call it the meeting of the minds and we're awesome. sitting around and we, we have dinner and we, and we talk about what's going on and what's working and what's not working and have, share ideas and, and what's going well and, and also talk about you know the ups and downs and the pitfalls of being an entrepreneur.
0: So cool, so cool. And I think that just underscores the importance of being around other entrepreneurs who are, are doing something similar to what you're doing, not, not necessarily the same vertical or category, but that, that are kind of going through the same struggles and the same challenges and the same opportunities, I think it's it's hard. And as an entrepreneur, sometimes we can be a, a bit of an island. And man, it's so valuable to have those connections. So not everybody uh, is blessed like you or that your buddies are launching you know, million dollar, uh, online stores. But I think, you know, if you can find a mastermind or find a group, you know, search one out and I'm not, I'm not pitching one. I don't have one, but, uh, I think that's, that's super, super important.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, when I started, they, they weren't my friends, you know, I didn't even really know who they were, (laughs) but, uh, but we became friends as, you know, San Diego is, is a pretty big city, but the entrepreneurial community is fairly small. And it was just a matter of, kind of connecting the dots and, and reaching out and, and surrounding yourself with those people. Um, and I think you and I have talked that uh, above and beyond that. I've also joined, um, entrepreneur organization, which I can highly recommend as well, because it just puts you together with other entrepreneurs who are in different fields. Uh, and it's really great, been a great organization and a great learning experience for myself.
0: Yeah. I, I'm always looking for people that will challenge my thinking and, you know, I love, uh, I know Larry Page from Google has used this language. There's also a guy that wrote a book, uh, Grant Cardone, I think, but the, the 10x principle, you know, how do you go from the way you're thinking now to 10xing something? And, and so if you can be around people that are gonna stretch you and that they're 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 already thinking that way and acting that way, it just it just helps you level up. So really cool stuff. So talk about this because I love looking at, at the entrepreneurial journey and and ideas that are either hits or misses or somewhere in between. But you know, we've been working together for a while now and and we help you with your adWords and 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 SEO and stuff. But talk about if you would talk about the juice bar a little bit in and, and why you decided to do that and how that kind of went and and then any lessons that you kind of learned from that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So essentially uh, last year, uh, as we were growing and and like you said, we've been growing pretty quickly. Uh, we opened up a new flagship store about 2600 square feet and it was just massive and we looked at it and we thought we need more space we want to open this store, and we want to continue to increase our average order value from our customers we've already we're already selling them apparel we're selling things online um how can we do more for our customers and how can we we keep them around a little bit more And being everyday California and and owning a lifestyle brand and really being deep in the California culture and healthy lifestyle, we thought that we would open a, we didn't think we did, we opened a large uh, juice bar. We took about 700 square feet of our store, the new store that we were building out, and we went all out. I mean, we hired a chef, we hired a designer, we hired an architect. Uh, We designed what I thought was the coolest juice bar in La Jolla. I mean, this thing was on track to win design awards. I mean, it was crazy. The amount of work we put into it It was beautiful. Yep. Um, but then, you know, we, we did it and we're rocking and rolling on all cylinders and we're these, you know, kick-ass entrepreneurs who can't do, can't do no wrong. And, uh, come to find out, you know, you, you come out with us and you go surfing or paddle boarding or whatever it is you do, you're hungry and you don't, uh, necessarily want a $10 juice or a uh, $10 acai bowl, <laughs> right? right. Uh, so we quickly realized that um, it wasn't, it really wasn't working for our customer base. Uh, we were sl- starting to um, gain traction with the locals. Um, by no means were we, you know, dead in the water there. It was just a very slow process. Um, margins were much, much slimmer than we have on the adventure side and on the apparel side. And a lot of time and effort was going into it. Because at that point, we were essentially running three companies. We had the adventure company, uh, we had the apparel company, and then we had the juice company. And uh, we were looking at distribution, uh, talking about expanding uh, our juice bar or our, our even our juicer was a massive, massive piece of equipment. Um that I mean, we made an excellent product, but everything was very, very expensive. And not only are you looking at inventory on the apparel side, we were looking at inventory on the juice side and that inventory is perishable and it goes quickly. Um, so we kind of sat around, we have these quarterly meetings, uh, with our executive team, our, our C-level guys here and uh, we lock ourselves into a room for eight hours and we all go over everything that's going on, um, ideas and, and problems and what's going good and what's going bad. And we had this meeting and about five hours into the meeting, I finally stood up and I said, Hey guys, we haven't talked about the juice bar once what are we going to do? (laughs) And, uh, and we ran through all of the numbers and, and we were, we were making money. I mean, we, you know, we were doing a lot and it could have been a business that would have been successful if that was the only thing we were focusing on. But we were looking at these very slim margins, a lot of time, um, and the majority of the headaches of the business were coming from this juice bar side. Um, so we made the decision to cut it, um, quickly. Uh, there's no reason we felt like there was no reason to continue something, um, that was a much lower margin for us. That was kind of causing a lot of headaches. That was a really cool product and a really cool space, but all of the other business was growing so quickly that we could use that space right away. Uh, we made the decision in December. Uh, by December 31st, we closed the doors. By February, uh, February 15th or so, we had the entire place had been uh, gutted. We'd sold all the equipment. Uh, we had almost uh, almost doubled our retail space and uh, and doubled our fleet for our paddleboarding and surfing and adventure side of the business. And within two months of that, uh, we had already doubled revenue um, on our rental business for surfboards and paddleboards. And the profit margin on that was so high that we were already making more money.
0: That's awesome. And I think so many good lessons there. You know, you, you guys did it like you, you made the, and I, I saw pictures and the juice bar looked amazing and you were making money. I mean, if you had decided to really make that bigger, you could have, but it was, you know, more headache than it was worth. And, and really, it kind of goes back to, I think the the decision that a lot of entrepreneurs have to look at is just because we can, doesn't mean we should. And you know, what, what's, would that juice bar have really made everyday California bigger or better or made people love the brand more or help you go global or anything like that? It really wouldn't have, you know? Um, and so I think that was the right decision. I also love the fact that once you decided that's what you're going to do, you just did it. Like you gutted that thing, you sold the stuff and you, and you moved on, uh, which is, which is really cool. So,
1: yeah, I think that was definitely important that once we made the decision, we just moved forward with it. We agreed on it as a group and said, all right, it's time to do this and move forward. And I think another big lesson, and this is kind of a side note that I learned, uh, the juice bar was actually called Wahole. Um, Wahole is the native American term for La Jolla. Cool name. Love it. We had all kinds of, uh, cool vibes in there because it was based on the Native American term. Um, we had built out these cool rock formations. We had this big living wall. Um, but I think a lot of the reason why Everyday California is successful is that it's very simple. Um, it's a very simple concept. It's a very simple name. It's a very easy to remember. Um, well, was more of an abstract. And we were kind of going through that phase where yeah, juice companies especially were were had these all these really cool names and some of them were hard to <laughs> pronounce and right, and uh maybe it would have been better if we just called it uh juice bar, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, uh because the signage, you know, Wahole, it said Wahole juice bar, but still it it wasn't resonating with people because you had to explain what it was every time and this is how you pronounce it.
0: Yep. Um Yeah, it wasn't instantly obvious looking at the name, how to pronounce it, yeah.
1: Exactly. Whereas everyday California is just very simple concept, very simple branding. Um, you know, you go back to some of the very successful companies that have very simple names, like uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I know exactly what that company does.
0: <laughs> yep. You know what they do? You hear it one time, you remember it or, or on the juice front, you know, naked juice. I mean, once you you hear that one time, you're going to remember it. It's simple, uh, speaks to what's in it, you know? Um, and actually if you would, and I meant to ask this earlier and I forgot, but, the name. So Everyday California. What's the story behind the name? How did you come up with it? Uh, love it, by the <laughs> way. But how did that happen?
1: Um, so since we had two years to to name the, the company, uh, you know, we started with a very, very long list. And we would every employee was able to put a name up on the board and we were always kicking around ideas. And um, we settled on the fact, first off, that we wanted California in the name that California resonates with people from around the world. And if you say California, no matter what part of the world you're in, people know what you're talking about. Um, And it's very aspirational. um, And it just speaks to people right away. So we decided that California had to be in the name. Now we couldn't just call the company California. Right, right. Yeah, we started uh, really just throwing out what could it be. I mean, uh, we came down to two names, uh, something California, in everyday California. And really, to be completely honest with you, when we finally settled on everyday California, none of us loved it. It was just the best of the bad options that we had come up with.
0: That's awesome. Um,
1: That's awesome. So,
0: yeah. Have you, have you heard the story of uh, how Nike uh, got, got their name? You have to remind me, I, I just read Phil Knight's new book, and it was awesome. I highly
1: recommend it. Uh, it's yeah. called Shoot Dog. Uh, yeah. I can't remember what the, what the naming uh, was I, I remember it was blue? It was blue something before, correct.
0: Yeah, blue ribbon. So blue ribbon was the name of kind of the holding company when 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 uh, Phil Knight first started. He was importing Onitsuka Tigers, which later became uh, Asics, but he was importing those and he had to make up a name and it was blue ribbon. But when when they were coming up with a name for Nike, which which I totally agree. Shoe Dogs, one of my favorite uh, Shoe Dogs, one of my favorite books here of recent years. But Phil Knight's idea, he really loved Dimension Six. So when when you shared uh, OEX, was it OEX? Was that the name of the company originally? Yeah. Yeah. It made me think of Dimension Six. And so Phil Knight was like, he was set on, he wanted to name it Dimension Six and everybody told him it was the worst name ever. And so actually a, a guy on their team had a dream uh, of all the weird things and, and came up with Nike and, and Phil didn't really like Nike but he had to fax in because it was a long time. We had to fax in the name by a certain time, and he just went with it because it was the thing he, he hated the least. So <laughs> uh, sometimes that sometimes that happens. So that when, exactly when, did it, when did it start to grow on you then?
1: So it really started to pick up steam um, in about 2014, 2015, uh, when we really kind of came into our own and uh, had gotten much, much better at Design, uh, manufacturing of products, uh, our our e commerce, um, our social media, everything really started to click as I was able to separate myself from the adventure company. Uh, And once I was able to kind of pull myself out of that, because that was such a big money maker for us, and, and my business partner was really able to just take it and run with it. And our our general manager, who's now our our director of operations, Brian, and same with our, our, uh, our director of sales. And we kind of really started to be able to all specialize in things rather than just trying to keep this company going and, and make money. We were making money. It was growing and we were all able to kind of separate and take on what we were really were specialized in. Um, so once I got to really focusing on the brand aspect and that's when it really started to to take a turn. And, uh, this is at the same time where we met a brand management company and we'd had a lot of really good feedback on our logo, a lot of good feedback on our name. And we took the company, um, into the licensing space. Um, which
0: if you watch shark tank, you hear about licensing all the time. And uh we went through about a year Wait, was that was that something just curious, was that something you guys all agreed on, or was there a little hesitancy? Were you guys a little nervous a about doing that? There was a lot of hesitancy. There was a year of
1: negotiations and should we even do this? We're such a young company, we're growing. Why why go away from what's working? Why dive into this? Um well, the main reason being that, you know, we started fairly young. I mean, I was twenty four when we started. And, uh, and as the brand continued to grow, you start to realize, you know, uh, to make a hundred thousand dollars in peril, you need $50,000, um, and so on and so forth. And those numbers just continue to grow. So financing becomes an issue. Inventory becomes an issue. A lot of big things start to happen. Um, we had landed a deal with Kitson. I don't know if you remember Kitson. I Um, I don't Mm. West coast retailer, super cool, really niche. Like, uh, High priced, you know, it's huge. it was like hugely backed by Paris Hilton and all the celebrities would shop at Kitson. It's something like thirteen stores on the West Coast. Um, we landed an account with them. and uh, next thing we know, uh, uh, the company folds it goes bankrupt and doesn't pay us for anything. And oh no. yeah. and and we're thinking, man, this can happen. And at the same time, we had had friends who had struggled with accounts at Pac Sun. Um, major retailers, they have all the power, um, when you're selling at wholesale, when you're selling into their stores, it's very different than e-commerce. And so when we were approached, uh, and went into negotiations with Cherokee global brands, they own uh, Cherokee, which is in target. They own Tony Hawk, Liz Lang, side out high tech Magnum boots. Um, they own a lot of really cool brands. Uh, when we started speaking with them, really, uh, what happened was, is we landed on the licensing agreement with them, where they purchased uh, part of our intellectual property and trademarks being our logo and name. Um, and they purchased the rights to sell in most in all e, um, sorry, all brick and mortar and wholesale. Um, so we held on to our e commerce site and the ability to open up any further everyday California Brick and mortar stores and adventure locations.
0: Nice, nice. I think that was a that was a good move. That was a that was a smart move uh, to keep the e-commerce side. Um, and so, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. And, and I love the fact that you guys are expanding. And I know there's there's big things on the horizon. And so, hopefully, one day in the not too distant future, people all over the world will be seeing everyday California gear. Um, but let's talk about e-commerce and what's really. Working because you and I were going over the numbers a little bit ago. Your e-commerce sales are way up over last year, which is super exciting. But what what are some of the things? What are some of the channels that are really driving growth for you uh, online?
1: Yeah, really. Right now, um, and we were just speaking about this earlier. Our e-commerce is 10x um, last month um, compared to the year before, um, which is which is awesome, um, and it's amazing. And and being an entrepreneur, you know that. That kind of growth always creates other problems, but they're good problems. Yes.
0: Much, much <laughs> rather have the problems of growth than the other kind, for sure.
1: Exactly, exactly. But what really works for us um, on the apparel side is Facebook and Instagram, and really most recently, um, Instagram advertising. Um, it's much harder to grow an apparel company because a lot of people. Uh, when you go out and purchase a t-shirt or purchase a pair of jeans or a jacket or whatever it is, if you haven't purchased from that company, you don't necessarily know how that's going to fit or what the fabric feels like. Um, so we've done really well recently with our headwear category, uh, because it is more of an accessory. Um, it's a little bit lower of a price point and it's also one size fits all. Um, so we've been doing a lot of advertising on Instagram, uh, based around our headwear. And that's definitely led people to discover the brand and maybe start with ordering one product and and getting head getting headwear in and hopefully getting some compliments from their friends or hopefully just loving the product themselves and then turning around and trying out a t-shirt or trying out a hoodie. Um, and really that's been the main driver
0: uh, for e-commerce for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, uh, hats are super cool it does take care of the fitment issue p- pretty easy to ship and, and all that um any any things any, anything that's kind of surprised you like wow that really worked well when when you're looking at at some of your ad platforms you know instagram and facebook any particular ads or targeting or anything and i'm not asking you to give away all the secret sauce but uh, anything yeah, no, that like, just kind of surprised you that it worked so well
1: I got a funny little, this is a funny antidote for you right now. Um, our best, um, our best ad that we're running currently is based around a hat called the Marine layer hat, super cool hat. And, um, the image that for some reason resonates with people online is a guy holding out the uh, Marine layer hat and blurred out in the background is the Brooklyn bridge.
0: <laughs> Perfect. That, that's that's the formula that I would have thought of for sure. Yeah, uh, to yeah. make that so work. So we
1: are everyday California, and our best selling ad has an image
0: of the Brooklyn
1: Bridge in the background, which generates some pretty funny uh, comments on Instagram. But it's working,
0: you know, and yeah. it's a really
1: cool shot, um, shot by one of our brand ambassadors
0: uh, out in New York. Yeah, it, it is a very cool shot, and. That just kind of goes back to I had a podcast uh, several weeks ago with a friend of mine, Mike Rhodes, who's a, a, a display uh, guru. And he talks about how so much of the time and then there his team is awesome at display. That's what they do. And he said so much of the time, the ad we think will win is not the ad that wins. You know, and so that's why that's why you've got to test. You've got to test and do different things. And who would have thought that, you know, the the best everyday California picture would, would have a background of New York. I mean, that doesn't make doesn't really make sense, but it kind of does. It kind of does because, you know, the Brooklyn bridge is kind of trendy and hipster and cool. And so it fits the brand. It's just, you know, if you were sitting around in a, in a branding meeting with a bunch of, uh, branding bigwigs, nobody would have said, take that picture.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's the beauty of Facebook and Instagram and the ability to test is, is we threw that image in there with a whole bunch of other images and it, it crushed it. It won. So we're going with it. And, and just because our name is Everyday California, this is something that we had a little bit of pushback um, in the beginning and still get a little bit, is that how can a brand like Everyday California with the name California in it, how, how is that going to do outside of the California market? Um, well, first of all, California is one of the largest markets in the world, so we weren't <laughs> right. too worried about <laughs> right. that. Um, but secondly, uh, now that we, we actually have a deal, we launched in 70 flip-flop shops all around, um, North America. Uh, some of our best performing stores are not in California. Florida is doing really well right now. Georgia is doing well. Uh, we do very well at, uh, the McCarran airport in Las Vegas. Um, so California in itself and the brand everyday California, it's really for everybody. And again, it's more of an aspirational lifestyle brand than it is us just trying to sell you. They're just selling to people in California.
0: Yep. And I think it's a great way to put it. It's aspirational. It means something to most people. And it it's, it's something cool. It's something fun. It's outdoor. It's sunshine. It's the beach. It's surfing. Um, and it is aspirational, which is really cool. And so uh, talk about the, the flip-flops just a little more, if you don't mind, or, or any other new products. So like with the flip-flops, were you involved in the in the designs yeah. there?
1: Yeah. And just to, just to kind of go back a little bit on, on what we were talking about before, I, I do want to say that even though the brand is aspirational and it does uh, a lot of people can relate to it. what has also been very important is the product. There's a lot of people who can go out there and sell really cheap things that just say Cali on it. Yeah. Um, I think that what we've done is, is different in that, uh, like our, take our t-shirts, for example, all of our t-shirts are garment dyed, meaning that uh, we don't just dye the fabric. We actually have the shirts cut and sewn uh, primarily from hundred uh, percent organic cotton, or a tri blend that we really like to use. And then we actually garment dye and hot wash and we'll do different types of vintage washes or stone washes. So all of our product is really high quality and won't shrink, won't change. And we've spent a lot of time in that development process to yes, we're selling an aspirational California based brand, but it the product needs to needs to be the same. So that's been been really important uh, from a growth standpoint as well. As, as far, far as the flip flops, go ahead.
0: I was going to say it, it is really important that you that you get that right, both the quality, the price point, and everything. And that, that's why we you know we we launched some Google Shopping for you. It's, it's done okay, but it, it's one of those things where anything that's kind of query based, like Google Shopping, and we're huge fans of that channel. But you know, someone searching for a California t-shirt there's a lot of people that do want kind of the, the run of the mill Cali design that costs 10 bucks, you know? Um, exactly. And so that's why I think, I think you've had a lot more success with Facebook and Instagram and and targeting the right audience and influencers and and things like that. So, um, so yeah, it totally makes sense. And the way you guys have protected the brand and advanced the brand, all, all brilliant. So, so yeah. So talk about flip flops.
1: Yeah, so Flip Flop Shops um, is a franchise company. Um, Flip Flop Shops was actually purchased by Cherokee, the same company that owns part of our intellectual property, um, a little over a year ago. Um, and so what we're doing with Flip Flop Shops is a is part of the licensing model. Um, so Kobian Footwear or Kobian Sandals, which is based um, here in Southern California makes an amazing, amazing product, Um, some of the most comfortable flip-flops on the market. And leveraging Cherokee and leveraging flip-flops relationships, we were able to do a licensing deal with Cobian uh, for them to produce um, everyday California flip-flops. And then we were put in as a direct distribution into the flip-flop shops models. So we just launched uh, a little over a week ago um, direct into every single store. Um, so it's been really, really cool to be working with all these really great partners and veterans of the industry, uh, in launching a completely new category for us and a category that works and speaks directly to our brand. I mean, what better thing to sell under the name everyday California than flip-flops, you know, it's perfect, perfect, fit. perfect
0: fit. Totally, totally.
1: But something that again, we would not we would love to have done but the manufacturing of footwear and creating a quality product which is what is really important to us uh is very hard to do in the footwear space you don't just wake up one morning and say i'm gonna make flip-flops um so it's it's great to have those strategic partners and have people who really are veterans in the industry and, and know what to do and how to do it
0: yep yep uh, totally agree and we, we've had some footwear clients and yeah the manufacturing process there's really tough and when you're Going up against other people that are really well established in the footwear industry, you can't really afford to make uh, have some, uh, no pun intended, but missteps. You know, with a an inferior product. So, yeah, excited about the Everyday Cali flip flops. Uh, they look awesome. So uh, good. Any other any other new products on the horizon? I know you maybe can't tip your uh, <laughs> your hat there much, but uh, any other any other new products that you've either just released or that are in the works?
1: Uh, In the works, uh, we're working on, and and if anybody is in the the industry, the apparel industry, they know how far out uh, lead times are. Uh, We're working on some really cool board shorts for spring-summer 18 that we're really excited about. Um, And for right now, what we're doing is we're really going back um, to the basics, kind of the same thing that we did uh, when we decided to cut the juice bar and we decided to focus on on, uh, adventure is, we're really cutting everything back, going to the basics and really simplifying everything um, and focusing on our core products, making the T-shirts the best they can be, making the hoodies the best they can be, um, sweatpants, tank tops, everything that we have been doing, but focusing on making them the best they can possibly be before we start jumping into to other categories. I just don't think it would be fair to try and sell you a snowboard jacket this year that we just came up with.
0: It's super smart and, and, you know, that, that time and attention and that love you guys are pouring into the product, it shows and, you know, I mean, people are always going to wear hoodies, always going to wear t-shirts. And so making the next shirt better, even better than before next hoodie, even better than before, uh, I think is, is a really smart approach. So very cool. Um, If you had to predict or, or share maybe a couple of thoughts, where do you see everyday California in you know, five years from now?
1: Five years from now, I mean, our long-term goal is to continue to work with, with Cherokee global brands on an international standpoint. Um, currently, uh, we're working on deals in about five different countries. Uh, I'd really like to see a scale and grow on the international front. Um, that's really important. And we find, we feel like that could be a, a huge, huge part of our business. Um, I would definitely, I definitely see the e-commerce store, um, becoming a huge, huge part of our business, especially at the growth rate that we're seeing now.
0: Yeah, are you gonna Um, gonna commit to that 10X per year rate for the next five years? You you know, (laughs) we'll
1: see what we can do, I would love to. Um, We are scaling as safely as we can. I actually had a conversation with our Facebook ad agency and and Instagram guys uh, yesterday um, and told them to hold the budget we can continue we could continue to spend and continue to increase our spend and we're seeing a, an actual profit but i don't want to mess it up essentially uh we don't want to over promise and under deliver um so we're going to scale as as slowly as we can as safely as we can so that this thing lasts and, and it doesn't uh we don't make any mistakes along the way if somebody orders from us we want to make sure that the product is correct, that they're getting their product on time, uh, that everything from manufacturing to warehousing and inventorying uh, is done correctly. So slow growth, but yeah, if we can keep the 10 X, I mean, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> you
0: got to do it the right way. And I commend you for that because you want that experience to be good. You want people to get the right product. And so showing a little restraint there, which is I think hard for entrepreneurs to do because I'm, I can definitely relate to your Facebook guy. You know, when I find an an ad that's dialed in, man, I just wanna I wanna, you know, light a light a fire under that. But it does make sense to hold back a little bit, to show some restraint, to make sure you're growing in a way that's sustainable and healthy. So I, I commend you for that. Um, I know we've talked about a few of, of your friends that you mastermind with, but any other e-commerce companies that you pay attention to, I think it's always interesting to say. You know other e commerce successful entrepreneurs, who are the people they pay attention to so who who do you watch
1: um so number one on the e commerce standpoint, um I love to follow and see what movement watches is doing yeah uh, they were were zero to sixty million in four
0: years, I believe that's not bad that's not bad uh, not bad
1: at all so I definitely definitely uh, keep an eye on on what those guys are doing yeah.
0: what's funny. What's interesting about that. I was at an event in San Diego. We did, we didn't get to meet up, which was a bummer, but I was there speaking at an event and met several people, several kind of new entrepreneurs who are launching pretty cool businesses. And, and both of them mentioned two people in in particular said, we want to be like movement watches only for our category. And so, yeah, they've, they've kind of become a standard in a, in a way. And
1: that's a great, great goal, obviously. And I believe, uh, you and I, we had, uh, we had dinner with Jake. Was that it
0: right, last year? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And super cool guys, super humble, very smart. And, and I definitely watch and see what those guys are, are doing. Uh, Pure Vita is also another example of a company that's grown and scaled and done such a good job. Um, but for me being in the apparel industry, being a lifestyle brand, it's, it's definitely a little bit different. We have much more SKUs. Um, we, have a kind of a lot more going on just because you're talking men's, women's kids accessories. Um, you know, for every t-shirt we make, we need to make it in five to six different sizes, uh, different colors. So it becomes uh, from an inventory standpoint and from a logistical standpoint, definitely very complicated. So the companies that I follow in the lifestyle industry that are very similar to us are uh, Marine layer. I don't know if you've seen Marine layer apparel, uh, they're based out of San Francisco. Uh, they've done amazing things. Um, I watch them because they've also expanded from a brick and mortar standpoint, which is something that we are interested in doing is specialty brick and mortar. Um, a lot of these big retailers, you know, are going out of business, but we still see there's a huge opportunity in specialty retail. People will, are not going to just stop shopping in person altogether. Um, you know, even, even Amazon is opening up stores now. Um, and Marine Layer has done a really good job of that, as well as Aviator Nation. Um, Aviator Nation is another apparel brand, and they're based out of Southern California, and they've they've done a similar model to Marine Layer. Um, I believe they're up to four or five stores now, um, and they just create a really cool culture, um, a really cool specialty stores, and it's not just all about shopping. You know, you go into an Aviator Nation and one of them has a big stage where a band can play. Um, and for us, our differentiator is, is all the, the action sports that we do. So we're looking at a possibility of expanding um, into Coronado. Uh, we've talked about Orange County. We've talked about uh, Los Angeles and different places where if, if you show up to an everyday California, not only are you looking for, for some of our product, but you can go out and paddleboard. Um, you know, you can, you can rent a surfboard from us. You can maybe grab a kayak and, and we can, you know, you can actually experience, um, what we're all about.
0: Yeah. And, and, and you guys, you guys have nailed it. I love those examples. I, I, I'm i not familiar actually with Aviator Nation or Marine Layer, but I'm looking at them right now. Very, very cool sites. And I think you hit the nail on the head there that, you know, brick and mortar is certainly, certainly not dead. I think a lot of the department stores and kind of the boring old way of retail is, certainly dying. Uh, but, but doing retail the way you guys do it, the way some of these other companies do it, uh, and, and you being able to combine the brick and mortar with e-commerce, super powerful and, and really, really exciting. So, uh, Chris, this has been phenomenal, man, super fun, tons of entrepreneurial lessons, tons of e-commerce lessons. It's just been a a blast. And now I'm ready to go to San Diego again. So thanks a lot for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. we'll, We'll get you back down here soon.
0: All right. All right. Very good. So, uh, if someone wants to check you guys out, uh, buy some hats or hoodies or shirts, where can they find you? And then, uh, should people follow you on social media?
1: Uh, for sure. They can, uh, check out everyday Um, they can follow us on Instagram at, at everyday California. Same with, with Facebook. Um, since I'm so involved in, in the company, Instagram and the company, social media, I really don't, have, use my personal. Um but if anybody does want to reach out or they just want to talk, I'm I'm always open to that. And anybody um who has questions or, or like I said, just wants to talk um can email me personally at Chris at everydaycalifornia.com.
0: Awesome man. Very gracious of you to do that. And and I will recommend both your Instagram and Facebook uh, accounts. They're phenomenal. You guys are sharing videos, kayaking videos and La Jolla videos and of course apparel as well. it, it they're they're phenomenal. So Chris, this has been terrific, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. We'll have to do it again. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Anytime. Yep. Very good. So as always, uh, thanks for tuning in and please give us some feedback. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of, less of. This is kind of the first in our uh, How I Did It series. Going to be featuring some successful e-commerce entrepreneurs. So hopefully you're enjoying that as well. Uh, Leave us a review in iTunes. And with that, until next time, thanks for listening.